0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Cooling Outer podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Paradox, A Different Way to Live. In this series, we will uncover the profound truths hidden within these seemingly contradictory statements as we embrace the challenge to follow Jesus' footsteps and be a catalyst for change in our world. We pray that this message is a blessing. Thank you for life for calling and so excited, uh, as always, to be here this morning sharing the Word of God, opening up our scriptures and discerning what it is that perhaps God wants to say to us through His Word that He wrote as we gather in obedience. Um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open them up. We're going to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse one. And whilst you turn there, if you haven't met me before, my name is David Scambry and I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at New Life Gather. And if you haven't met me, it might just be because you're here for the first time. So as you grab your free and delicious coffee downstairs for, for being here the first time, come and say hi. I'd love to get to know you, hear a bit of your story. Um, but yeah, today we are in Matthew chapter 5. I keep going to go say Mark, but that's, a, that's wrong. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we are in a series called Paradoxes. And perhaps in this room, like me, you go... What's a paradox? Isn't that like a strange thing we see in movies when people go backwards in time? And um, at least that's what I said. And uh, I went to the Oxford Dictionary. Actually, Alex went to the Oxford Dictionary, and this is what it said. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition, which when investigated may prove to be well-founded or true. It's something that seems wild, unbelievable, there's no way this can fit into what I expect and what I know of reality. But when you look into it, you find out actually, that's where reality sits. That is what is true. And it makes a, a heap of sense that when Jesus, God Himself, steps into our world to bring His kingdom and to teach us a better way of being human, we hear a whole collection of these paradoxes. And we find so much of what Jesus says to be statements that at first we hear and go, that's unbelievable. Live to die? What? That make, Give to gain? How, how can I give and give? That? No, giving is losing. Now, but not yet? And we find ourselves absolutely confused or absolutely thrown by the absurdity of the kingdom of God. But if you think about it, if God himself was to come into our world and to walk among us and say, let me show you the better way of being human, it would seem impossible to us it would seem wild to us because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. So we, with that in mind, we come back to paradoxes. We come to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus invites us to consider a whole new paradox, the paradox of blessing. And I just want to be upfront here. I started reading the Beatitudes thinking this is going to be a great sermon. I cannot wait to write it and study it. And then I got through the first Um, Beatitude and realized I'd written a whole sermon just on the first Beatitude alone and thought, man, we need to do a series on this. Um, But today we we are, we're going to go over the whole thing and look at it and see how in the Beatitudes, Jesus is revealing a deep and beautiful manifesto for what it is to be a kingdom people. Read it with me, Uh, Matthew 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you join with me in prayer? Almighty God, I thank you that when you came to this earth, this is what you wanted us to know 2,000 years later. That God, when you came here and wanted to unveil the wonder of your kingdom, the wonder of your glory, the beautiful things about who you are becoming available to us, God, this was a part of it. Which means within these words, there is something stunning and powerful and life-bringing that has in uh, in its embodiment the power to change the way we view this world and to liberate Heal and bring life to this world. I pray today, God, would you set us free from the accidental uh, apathy to just read and, and kind of move on? Spirit of God, would you speak to us? Spirit of God, more of you, less of me. Would you make your words known? Would you make your truths known? God, we praise you that you are here and working and that we may be a people because you've made the promise that are confident in your goodness available and on display today. Lord, be praised. Jesus, in your mighty and perfect name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed how um, whenever you watch an advert for something, they hook you on the product, get you obsessed with the idea of it, and only after they do that do they tell you how much it costs. You ever notice that? It's like, hey, buy this, and, and it's going to change your life forever, and you're like, I want my life changed forever, and then it goes to, it's 19 easy payments of $2 million, and easy peasy, on you go, and you go, oh, I don't know if I can afford that. You know, feel great, be healthy, live longer. Just drink this utterly putrid drink each morning. Be fit, be more, uh, be more able, look mighty fine. Just get up at 4 a.m. each day, go to the gym, and then experience two days of muscle pain afterwards. Ugh. Quite a number of years ago, I was, sold, I was sold a product. I was sold a dream. And the dream was uh, passive income. Now, if you don't passive income, passive income is essentially where you've set yourself up with a bunch of assets. And because you've done that, right, your money just, money just comes into your bank account pretty much for free as a consequence for those assets you've set up. And I thought, free money? All right, I'm in. So I, I went with a good friend of mine. Went to this seminar where the all of the speakers were remarkably wealthy. So what do I think? Well, this clearly works. And so we sat there, we listened, we got our own little mentor, which was the same person who roped us into the idea to begin with. And sure, every time we sat down with them, it was a little strange that they mentioned this is not a pyramid scheme. But I mean. who notices red flags when there's free money on the table? Am I right? And so, you know, we got there. We listened to what she had to say, our mentor. And we got to a point where I said, look, what's the ploy? What's the secret? How are you going to make me rich quick with almost no work at all? I'm so excited. And this is what she said. She said, hey, find, your, find all your family and all your friends. Heck, call the whole phone book and get them to sign up under you into this not a pyramid scheme scheme. And then you boom, you're rich. I was like, well, I guess we can give it a go once, whatever. So we get a bunch of our friends. We have this meeting. We, we get them into our, into our lounge room, and we do hospitality, blah, blah, blah. We share all of, all of these great points that sounded really good when a rich person was saying it and kind of sounded really lame when I said it. But that's fine. We, we got through all of this. And at the end, I just said, hey, uh, who, who wants to sign up? Any questions? And one of my really good friends uh, kind of hesitantly stuck his hand up and was like, Is this a pyramid scheme? And (laughs) as you can imagine, uh, nobody signed up and we didn't make millions, and here I am. But um, (laughs) comfort, security, justice, mercy, intimacy with God, confidence as his children, all bookended in citizenship to his good kingdom. I hear these things and I go, I want these things. I I really want these things. How, How do I get them? What's the catch? What must I achieve? What must I do? Because when I first read the Beatitudes, I read them like I have to tick off. It's a spiritual to-do list, a Christian achievements box a law that I can't break if I want to experience all those blessings. But I tell you, God's kingdom doesn't work like the advertisement business, right? God's kingdom. In fact, you go meet Jesus who comes up and he goes, hey, 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 stop signing up so quickly to my kingdom. Count the cost. Count the cost. Don't sign up so quickly. He actually tries to help people understand and know that his kingdom isn't this advertised, utopian idea that in the end actually leaves you empty. And so it sounds like law. And it really does, but we have to know our genres. This list of blesseds it's not actually an instruction book, and that's really helpful for us to know. Because if you read the blesseds like an instruction book, then God would be saying something like this. Get poor. Sell everything you have, and then give away all the money. And you better be sad. Start crying. Start crying. Go on, what are you doing? And you better be being persecuted right now. If you're not being persecuted, you're out. Off you pop. To me, That goes against a lot of what God has said through his scripture. That is not a law. Otherwise, every time we stop being persecuted, every time we stop being um, sad, suddenly we're failing at God's command. You see, this isn't a law. What this is, is something else. It's an invitation. And it's an invitation that shapes the way we view our God. And more importantly, it shapes the way we view how God comes and views us. He's saying, you want to know who my favor rests upon my favor rests upon the marginalized. My favor, it rests upon the suffering. My favor, it rests upon those desperate for a better way. Those who've who's seen that the better way is my kingdom and, and they're willing to bring it into existence and even suffer to see it happen because they know it's a more beautiful thing for this world. Friends, this isn't a to-do list. This is There's no spiritual catch here. There's no bug all your friends and then finally you'll get all these blessings. It's a new way of viewing where God's blessings are, in every season of our life, even when we don't feel overly blessed, and how we can trust that God is moving even when it feels uncertain. So my hope for today is that we might taste this countercultural hope that's held in this manifesto for God's kingdom. My, my hope for today is that we might rejoice with confidence in God's favor, even when life isn't panning out like it, like it does in the movies, right? And my hope for today is that we might know who God's favor rests upon, who he doesn't say it rests upon, and why. All right, so let's just jump in. Verse three, it says, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this is uh, probably a different way of understanding this, is blessed are the spiritually impoverished. And and the word poor here, I don't know if you hear it the way I hear it, I hear it as lacking. But the word for poor there isn't someone who doesn't have something. The word is better translated as beggar. It's one who doesn't have something but is clawing, desperate to get it. The the word would, if you were to translate this differently, it would sound something along the lines of Blessed are those who are spiritually impoverished but desperate for a new way, desperately dependent for a new way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, which, if you don't know what that means, it also translates to gentle. It's someone who has power, but chooses not to use it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's happening in here? What is going on? Well, to start with, God himself has come onto the earth clothed in human flesh, clothed in this, what we look like today. He's been a baby. He's grown through his teenage years. He's gone through it all. And and now he's in ministry mode. Like he's 30 something years old and he is preaching about something. And this is his message. I have good news for the world. I am God in the flesh and I am bringing a message of hope and goodness to everyone who wants to receive it. What is this good news? It's a strange, entity called the kingdom of God. A strange entity called the kingdom of God. And having preached this consistently all throughout his ministry, right, he comes to this moment in this text right now where the gospel writers, at the very least, want us to understand it as the most exhaustive and full-on description of what this good news about the kingdom of God is and why it matters that it's come close to us, why it matters that we can access God's kingdom. And this is how he kicks it off. He kicks the whole thing off with these statements around who is blessed. Uh, Scott McKnight, he's uh, a a really, really, really smart theologian in our day, a university lecturer. And he says this, a blessed person is someone who, because of a heart for God, is promised and enjoys God's favor, regardless of that person's status or countercultural condition. In other words, there are some versions of the Bible that translate it as happy. And I just don't think that's quite enough because happy is an emotion. And I'll tell you this happy are those who mourn, doesn't make sense. Like when I'm mourning, I'm not happy, but I can be blessed. Because if we understand blessing is receiving God's favor as being the object by which God is favorably, favorably positioned towards, that changes everything. And, you know, him talking about this makes a lot of sense to a Jewish audience. You see, the Beatitudes, if you were to go back in time to this day and age and go to a Jewish person with these, verse, these statements and say, hey, can you write me a Beatitude for the Jewish people? They would say this, well, okay, that's easy. Blessed are the children of Abraham, that is, all the Jews. Why? And then he would go, and them alone and nobody else, for they will receive the kingdom of God, and for them shall be the favor, and, and them alone. That would be a beatitude according to the Jews. The Jews were celebrating and celebrated the fact that they were a called out people, uniquely favored by God in the whole world. And that was what made them so special. And they had seen this evidence through God's miracles and faithfulness all through history. And so when you go, hey, blessed are, they don't have to listen to the rest of the sentence. They go, all of us, we're Israelites. And yet at the same time, you go to ancient Jewish Israeli society and there were those who were, more blessed, you know, those who had more of God's favor, you know, the pious, the wealthy, the people who had more of what, of what they considered brought favor. And so speaking into this culture, this kingdom, the Jewish kingdom, uh, built on being blessed by God, Jesus introduces his new kingdom, and he launches into it by directly undermining everything the Jews thought they knew about what it was to be favored by God. How? Because he introduced the king of the kingdom as the one who perfectly fulfills every single one of these beatitudes in different seasons of his life and shows how if he walks through these lives and walk through these seasons and he remained favored by God then every single one of his followers his kingdom people also can walk in seasons that seem uh unblessed and still be favored and loved and blessed by God So, okay, this meant a lot to Jews, cool. And maybe you go, well, David, we're not Jewish. Uh, Why does this matter to us today? Why should I care who Jesus said is blessed? And here's what I think. If we view God's blessing, if we view God's blessing as something over here, then we will spend our whole lives feeling unloved, unwanted, uncared for. Right? Until God does this thing over here. But what if, in the whole season of life, you are wanted, you are loved, and you are seen, and God is expressing that favor through something on this end, on this side? What if God, the whole time, was in the business of showing you how much he loves you and how much he's for you, and we were all just looking in the wrong direction? Imagine spending our whole lives thinking God didn't like us, only to find out he was pouring out his love towards us, and we just didn't see it, right? Crazy. So we're going to do an exercise. We're going to do something a little bit wild, a little bit interactive. Uh, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Everyone say 10 seconds. Yep, that was the interactive. Great job. No, I'm gonna give you 10 seconds. Uh, no more. I'm gonna be very harsh on this. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna say the phrase blessed by God. And, and I want you to turn to your neighbor and just share what you think of when the phrase blessed by God comes up. Okay, 10 seconds. Go, blessed by God. Awesome, Awesome. Hey, if you're still talking, you should stop. It has been 10 seconds. Awesome. Bringing it back in. Um, now, I couldn't hear most of what you guys said because there was a lot of voices all at once, and I'm quite far away. but I asked a bunch of people throughout the week week, what their answer, what did they think when I said blessed blessed by God, and I I got essentially two collections of answers. The first collection I got was this, those people who deserve a blessing, those people who meet the prerequisite for a blessing, you know, holy people, godly people, people who, um, you know, are spiritually rich, those kinds of people, and then the second, and that was like three in ten people, and then the other seven in ten people would, would say something along the lines of this. Someone who God gives things to, someone who's been blessed with riches, someone who's been blessed with things and stuff and health and so on. And I hear both of those answers, and maybe you answered something really, really different and you're like, yes, I wasn't listed then. Cool. But I hear both of those answers uh, intrinsically highlighting that we, like the Jews, have a preconceived idea of what it means to be blessed by God. Now, I believe today that what Jesus wants to do through his words in this room 2,000 years after he spoke it is is kind of rattle the foundations in our soul of what being blessed actually looks like. Because let's see who Jesus considered blessed. And I wonder if anyone in the room considered, thought of these things. Jesus considers blessed. If he was to answer this question, he'd say, well, I see blessed uh, the poor in spirit. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I see blessed those who are mourning right now because they're going to be comforted. I see blessed those who are meek, because they're going to inherit the earth. I see blessed those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I see blessed the merciful, which means those who treat people better than they deserve, because they will be shown mercy. I see blessed the pure in heart, because they will see God. I see blessed the peacemakers, that is, those who join in God's mission of reconciliation, that is, bringing shalom into this world, for they will be called children of God. I see blessed those who are persecuted, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how does God's kingdom in the scripture challenge us? How, why does it matter who Jesus says is blessed? I think the first thing we've got to do is, is actually, as we read through the scripture, recognize who he doesn't say is blessed. Recognize who he doesn't mention is blessed. Two, two groups, uh, successful and rich people, you know, the health, wealth, and prosperity kind of people. like Successful and wealthy people he doesn't mention in here, just a fact. And then on the other side, he he doesn't mention culturally holy people. Remember in his day and age, there were temple priests, there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees. There were so many people in his day and age that were living outwardly a holy life before their culture, and he doesn't mention any of them. So just noticing who isn't mentioned. And I, I don't think that's to say that these people aren't blessed. I think what it's saying here, I think what's happening is that there's a glaring statement being made by Jesus, by not saying they're blessed. I think he might be saying that if we measure our place as blessed by God by those standards, if that's the way we perceive whether we're blessed, we're actually going to find ourselves fastly more hurt and fastly more wounded throughout life. So, hmm, I had a thought, it threw me. I know for myself, though, that these are the two groups that I naturally gravitate towards. And I'll give you some examples when I walk through life. If I walk through life and I see someone having something that I've been praying for, what's the first thing I think? I go, God, why did they get it and not me? Are they more spiritual? Are they more holy? Oh, you know, yeah, they're probably actually not as much of a sinful person as me. Or maybe I go, I see someone else, I see something I want, and I go, God, I want that thing. Would you bless me with it? I go, I want that thing, my God. Do you love me enough to give it? And I might not say it so overtly, but there's a sense in my soul where I tie God's love towards me uh, to those blessings, uh, those riches, right? And Jesus is not referencing these. It's not just that he doesn't reference them. I think he actively opposes them. Not the people, but the idea that these might be measuring sticks for blessing. Uh, Consider the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, This literally translates to God's favor is on a people who are spiritually impoverished and desperately dependent for help. That's not how I would describe a classically holy person. I would say, wow, holy people, wow, they're really spiritually abundant. And man, are they able to please God on their own, right? That's the kind of way we view these holy people quite naturally. And in the Gospel of Luke, he doesn't even say blessed of the poor in spirit. He just says blessed of the poor, which means without the spiritual connotation, it would almost certainly refer to economically impoverished people. Blessed are those financially struggling beggars. So not only are these groups not mentioned, but they're almost resisted. And and maybe you're like me, and I go, man, that sounds like a paradox to me. Surely the people that life is going right for and the people who are cozying up for God would be the ones more blessed by him. And here's what I want to remind us. A paradox is a statement that sounds false, but on further inspection, turns out to be true. And I think that's what's happening here. Because what we're uncovering is one large paradox that I've I've split into two sections. The first, the paradox revealed in who's missed. And the second, the paradox revealed through who's included. Which together, I believe, change the way we understand how God blesses. So how do we make sense of who Jesus misses? To start with, rich and successful people. I mean, I'm going to start with this. If we measure the richness, uh, our riches, our success, our success, our health uh, as the measure by which God blesses us, that is for us to say that having stuff and success intrinsically aligns with having God's blessing. It, and what it implies is that we truly believe that riches and worldly gain and all of that somehow satisfies some part of our soul. It's that we truly believe that it heals, completes, and brings value to our lives. Or in other words, we believe the sales pitch of worldly stuff and worldly gain. If you just buy the next iPhone, let me tell you, you will be a happier person, and your life will be more convenient, and boy, will people think you're cool, and suddenly that will make you more whole. And we go, sweet, buying a new iPhone. That's another two grand I didn't have to spend, right? But we buy into it. We buy into it. And it's a claim that time and time again, we find that people who have made it to the extremity of of successful and popular and wealth, they push back on this idea. Their success and their wealth hasn't solved the heart issue. They're still rich and just still feeling depressed or empty or lost. Their appetite's unabated. Their satisfaction's still out of reach. If only all could get rich and successful, says Jim Carrey, that they may all taste that it doesn't work. Right? And in these groups we see such a heightened use of drugs and pleasure seeking and the like to compensate for where they put the promises, the deceitful promises of the world to the test and just found it lacking. So, did this wealth and success translate to an actual blessing from God? Or was it just a circumstance change? It's not to say God doesn't bless us with stuff. I mean, look around. James the book of James says he's the source of every good blessing. But the problem is when we start to measure whether God likes us and loves us, whether his favor is towards us by these blessings, by physical and worldly stuff. And what we do in those moments is we actually utilize God as a way for us to grow in a different kingdom. We're still worshiping the kingdom of the world. We're just hoping we can use God to help us worship it. He's the source of all blessings, including wealth and prosperity, But his favor towards us, it can't be measured by the amount of stuff and success he gives us. Because these things are a lie. They don't live. They don't live up to their promise. And they'll never be the key to deep and meaningful and blessed lives. And we all in this room know it. And yet the truth is, every one of us probably, at least I'll speak honestly about myself, struggle to believe it. Writing this sermon for a week now every day, I've been like, I know this is true. I really know this is true. But I don't believe it's true. It's like it's not getting from here to here. I have been brainwashed from birth to believe that I need more stuff, more popularity, more applause, and more promotion for for me to be truly happy, to be truly healed, and to be truly content. And God is doing a work right now in our lives, and I believe in my life, as we lean into these truths of the scripture, to unravel what the world has convinced us of that we all know isn't true, but we just can't quite believe. And he's leading us to kind of gain hold, lay hold of what is true we can't use stuff as a measuring stick for his blessings. It fails. So what about the culturally pious, right? I mean, surely those who, who, you know, are holy would be blessed by God. And I'm going to say this, they really are. It's not that they're not. They are. But what true godliness looks like and what cultural godliness looks like are two very different things. And this is so important. What Jesus does in the scripture is he redefines what true godliness looks like. Here's his list. A truly godly person will be humbled by their dependence on God for his kingdom. They will mourn sin and its destructive nature. They will show restraint and gentleness. They will hunger for what God defines as right. They will show mercy. They will stay pure. They will bring peace. They will endure when the hostility of this world takes its toll on them. But when we talk about holy people, I don't think many of us are thinking about those attributes. We think about uh, evident sacrifice, right? Spiritually alive. People who appear holy. And I'm not saying it's always true, but for all we know, this could be a farce. People using their religion for personal ambition and gain. And friends, that isn't holiness. And this is so important because God isn't so interested in how we present. He's interested in the depths of our hearts. He's not interested in who's pure of public works, who's pure of external expression. He's interested in who's pure of heart. The people who are pursuing holiness deep within the quietness of their inner person, that's the people God views as godly. And if this is the list by which we measure a truly godly person, then a godly person could be a fisherman that is desperate for deeper spiritual intimacy. A tradie who's lamenting how much damage sin is doing in communities. A school teacher that chooses gentleness instead of harshness. A nurse who yearns for God's justice to abound in their world. A business owner who's treating everyone better than they deserve. An accountant who refuses the vileness of this world. A movie star who fights for people to know true peace. A parent who fights for God's culture. His right way to advance even when toxic communities bash them for doing so. And so on. Because friends, when it's not about an outward expression of godliness, it's about an inner reality. Everyone one of us can be a part of that. And this is why I'm excited for conference. Because conference this year and every year isn't about how the pastor's so renewed and you should be more like him. Renewal conference is about something else. It's about believing very deeply that we are the church. Yeah. We. And together we go out into the world in the name of Jesus and we see places that are secular right now renewed by what God's doing. We see life come and we see hope come and they come through paradoxes. And so throughout the... um. Throughout the conference, we're going to have these breakout rooms where we're going to address seven different areas where we believe we, the church, could be more growing in. Perhaps you work in the medical field or the business field or government or or, or church or whatever else it might be, but we want to talk how do we be agents of renewal in and through because we truly believe that holiness is not outward expression. It's not cultural. It's a deep inner work God's doing and inviting us to partner with him in. So those whom we innately assume are blessed are not Jesus' primary focus. So who does he say is blessed? He says spiritually impoverished beggars, the mournful, the restrained, the hungry for justice, the merciful, the truly pure, those who live to bring peace, and those who endure hostility, that they may see God's culture advance into our world. And you may go, well, I can see how maybe people who at first seemed blessed might not be blessed. But what I, I, I struggle with is people who are actively suffering. Like... People who are mourning are blessed? That makes no sense. How do I engage the fact that in the midst of suffering, someone could be blessed by God? That that just doesn't compute. And so we see the other side of the same paradox, the paradox uncovered in who is included, a paradox that challenges challenges our view on who God's favor rests and shows us that it's not defined by a logic of this world. I see three reasons that, that, that could be made as we do further inspection on this, for a a case for why suffering leads to blessing and why God, in God's kingdom, suffering leads to blessing. The first is that suffering actually isn't optional. The second is that God blesses us in the mess. And the third is that God leads to the ultimate blessing. So the first one, and this is vital. I think we make the mistake of reading these blessings and saying, wow, we're only blessed if we're mourning. We're only blessed if we're persecuted. We're only blessed if we're going through times of suffering. And we read through these options as though Jesus is giving us a choice to either live a normal life with no suffering or live a blessed life and suffer. And that's just not reality, right? Friends, life is hard. Friends, life is hard. It's not just you. It's hard for everyone. It doesn't matter what, the, what advantages you think they have or what wins they've had, or what stuff they have, or whatever else, man. Life is hard. Everyone in this room would, would vibrantly and, and, and energetically affirm that point, right? Like, life is. Jesus isn't saying, choose, choose the struggle option or don't. What he's saying is, why don't you choose how you struggle? Why don't you choose which struggle you will have? Life is hard. But what Jesus is saying is that his favor rests upon a group that chooses a hard, that's all about good, piercing the hardness. All about his good, everlasting kingdom, advancing into a hostile and difficult and broken world. Suffering isn't optional. And so with that in mind, we go, he blesses the mess. Because if we're all suffering anyway, right, there's only one hope, one name that can pierce through the suffering we're going through. And in the midst of this hard, we find great liberty and great help and great peace. You see, God isn't bound up by suffering. He's able to take the sting out of it, even in the midst of it. It's one of his incredible miracles, incredible gifts, that when we don't have the things we think we need to be happy, somehow we find ourselves still happy when we have him. And anyone in this room who's walked through suffering and truly leaned on God throughout it would agree to the fact that, there are, that, that most times when we, when we lean on him, He doesn't move physical mountains. What he moves is our own hearts. That we might feel a special intimacy and closeness to God that somehow, somehow, like somehow more beautiful to us than the pain is hard for us. And this isn't just a nice idea. This isn't just a good philosophy. This is truth. This this is my testimony. This is my story. You know, a few years ago... I, well, I mean, most of my adult life, I've battled with, with, with mental health struggles. I, I've, I've struggled. And, and, and a few years ago, I was just crushed by it. I was just feeling depressed. I was just so under and just felt way down. And I just couldn't shake it. And I remember after you know, a month or two of struggling this way, I, I came before God in prayer. And this wasn't a pious or a holy moment. I came before God in prayer because I wanted something from Him because I was about to lead a small group and I thought I should probably pray before I do that, right? And so I leaned before God in this moment and I come to my knees. Now I just remember in this moment as I, as I was praying, it was like God's arms and it wasn't like a vision. It, wasn't, it was just this great sense I had that God's arms were just open and he just embraced me. And just for a moment, I, I, I quite physically felt all the depression and all that difficulty lift off me. Like it just went. And I went, I was just, I, I was just sitting there in awe and in worship, and my first thought is, "Why don't you do this for always? Why is it here at all?" My first thought was antagonistic towards God, but I felt in the midst of that, what God brought to me was a promise: I, I see you. I'm still with you. I know the weight of this can sometimes blind you to me, but I'm here, and I'm just going to bring you through this for a short while longer, and then you'll be OK. And I stopped praying. And this depression, it came back. and I felt it again, and it was heavy. And it was hard, but it couldn't undermine that intimacy I just had with God. It couldn't undermine that promise I just experienced with Him. And in fact, in fact, the opposite, that experience with God undermined the damage of the pain and the suffering, because it's been, it's been years since then. And I know how often I look back, and I, I know within my soul that that was a moment that God intervened on my life. I know it because I, I was there. I felt it. It was real. And I can look back to that and I can go, I don't know what's happening in my season right now, but my God has alleviated my suffering before. He sees me, he is close to me, and he will walk me through this. And it has been great encouragement. And though the pain of mental health struggles was still real, I had a beautiful, beautiful God and truth in the midst of it. His favor was turned towards me. Friends, this isn't a nice philosophy. This isn't some nice idea. This is a reality that it's not just me. I know there are stories All across this room, of people who have experienced and tasted a special closeness, a special favor, a special blessing of God, even when life hurts. This is who God is. He cares. He just cares. When we turn to Him, what we learn is that He is good and He is faithful. He comforts, He gives security. He gives justice, he gives mercy, he gives identity, he gives his close intimacy. That wasn't a random list of things, that was the Beatitudes, that was his promise. This is what he gives, it's who he is. And so third, he leads to the ultimate blessing. Because when we see him blessing in the mess, we know there's no greater mess he blessed us through than when he came to this earth and he rolled in the mess with us when we were suffering, when we were struggling, but it wasn't just a short-term depression and it wasn't just a hard bit of mental health. As difficult as that is, Ephesians chapter two, verse one, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. It wasn't just something we would walk through and one day be out of, we were dead. And in the midst of this death where we perpetuated pain and hurt both in ourselves and to one another, Jesus stepped into this. And when we truly understand that every single human you've ever met in your life is eternal, we're not just bound by these 100 years, you know, like we are eternal. And every human's going to live beyond the world, but it is a narrow way to win eternity where we're perfectly comforted, perfectly secure, perfectly righteous, covered in his mercy, truly able to see God as his children, his kingdom. And that narrow way is Jesus. When we, when we get this, we realize that the truest blessing comes from letting go of this world and taking hold of his. We find ourselves joyfully receiving his kingdom, knowing it is where we will be blessed and will be favored beyond compare forever. So friends, though it's hard for a moment, though it's hard right now, though it feels like walking the Jesus way is leading to pain and hurt and suffering, and though it feels like I'm counter-culturally causing more suffering for myself at times, his favor is rich towards us. When it feels pain-filled and hard, and when we press confidently into his kingdom culture, his favor and his kindness and his eyes are on us. The Beatitudes, they offer us a vision into God's beautiful kingdom. Where we don't compare blessings to other people, because we're not tricked by their instagram accounts into thinking their new car means they're not struggling. We're not fooled anymore. Instead, we compare blessings to his promises here in the beatitudes and throughout the bible. We see promises that in the middle of someone's most difficult, struggling and wounded day, God hasn't abandoned them. He's blessing them right there. Friends, when life is hard, when we feel abandoned, when we feel like God's favor just surely surely has gone missing, He's right there. He's turned towards you. He sees you in the morning. I wonder, would you trust him? I wonder, would you seek him, his kingdom, and actually just let him have it? Because he's our God. It's a God who intervenes in our suffering, a God who, who gives favor to the morning, a God who saw us dying, and he loved us too much to let that be our end. So he joined us, and he lived through every single beatitude, living in God's blessing through it all perfectly. And in him, we can be confident that we are his blessed and favored people. Not by those usual measurements, not by how much he gives me or how holy I look to the world, but because I know what Jesus did on that cross. I know how he journeyed and mourned and suffered himself. I know how he was betrayed by everyone, all of his friends, abandoned, I know how he was beaten and thorns went through his head and, and he was whipped and whipped and whipped to one whip away from killing him. And then he then he carried his cross for a bit, a hard, heavy, wooden cross. And then they put holes in his hands as they nailed him to that and, and raised him up so that people could look at him and mock. And then he died, giving his life. And all of the suffering he had faced so far was only an iota, an image of the suffering he would go on to suffer as he paid for my way and for your ways that have rebelled against God. And now in heaven, he's right there with God the Father when we sin and when we fail. And he goes, nah, look at these scars. They're with me. They're welcome here. We can know we're blessed because there's no no greater blessing than knowing we're welcomed home into the arms of a father. We're welcomed home in his beautiful, beautiful love. So friends, yearn for his kingdom today. Mourn the brokenness around us. It's horrid. He is good. He is confident. Comforting. He is showing mercy. And he's calling each of us his beloved children today. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you that right now you're intervening through my brokenness and through each of our brokennesses. And God, no matter what we're walking through, no matter how much it's hurting, no matter how much we're suffering, God, you are not abandoned, you are not far away, you are not a distant father, but God, you are close. Right now, your eyes are soft. Your heart is warm. You see us and say, hey, I'm right there. Would you just let me be with you? God, I just pray today that you would break through some of the hearts in this room that are struggling to believe you're with them right now as they suffer. God, I pray there would be a miracle right now as we pray. I think there are people in this room today that actually are scared to trust that God might bless them, God might be for them. I think God wants to break that today. God, I pray for people who are so distracted from your real blessings by things that aren't what you bless us with. They're not measurements of whether you're for us. God, would you break that brainwashing of the world? And friends, today, perhaps, perhaps your heart is stirring. And this Jesus, who loved you enough to die for you and to lead you out, is doing something inside of you. And perhaps you say, I, 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 would like, I would like to start a relationship with Jesus today. I just, I don't know all of what it means. I'm not sure how that goes, but I want to move closer. And so with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If today, for the first time in your life, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, or perhaps you've walked away and want to come back, just raise your hand so that myself and a member of my team can say, come on, come on. Praise the Lord. Lord, thank you that you're stirring in hearts today. Thank you that there are people being set free in this room right now. Christians, uh, holy, growing in holiness. Non-Christians coming towards you. That, Lord, you are moving with your beautiful and perfect spirit because that's who you are. Your favor is upon this room. Your favor is upon each of us. Jesus, would we leave this place not with the not with the apathy of a church service but god with a true intimate connection with you jesus thank you that you paid it all and you made the way and you've called us home and you are faithful and you never fail you are the confident rock which we stand on we praise you jesus in your mighty name amen thanks again for listening to the new life podcast If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.